Andrew Jones, the publisher of the rival site, Tar Heel Illustrated, is our special guest. It's time for North Carolina Football Preview. This is ACC Nation. That's Will Ogina. I'm Jim Quist. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. It's always fun to be with you. Always enjoy the banter before you hit the record button, so, so it's always a good time to talk to you guys. Same here. Hey, there are several big questions surrounding North Carolina this season, but not the same kind of hype that they received in 2021 as a top 10 team. But three years of top 15 recruiting classes, uh, some old new faces, we'll explain that here in just a minute, running defense, and Mac Brown appears to be putting all of his pieces of the puzzle together. Andrew, your overall thoughts on this team before we jump into the specifics with Will? Well, that's a good question because it's easy to say, well, if they were supposed to be top 10 last year and they ended up six and seven, humiliated in the bowl game and firing their defensive coordinator, then that means, well, what do they got in store for them this fall? I actually think as we learned when last season unveiled, they were, and Mac Brown started saying this early in the year, they were way overrated. You know, they lost a ton of uh, production, uh, high-level skill guys that are all in the NFL, and they were unable to, to replace them. Other than, you know, Sam Howell didn't have the same targets last year. He had to run a lot. I think he just threw everything off. They just, they, they were really never in sync. They had stretches where they looked really good, but they were never consistent, even in the same game. They'd be great one quarter and horrific the next quarter. Penalties would kill them. The timing of the penalties were bad. Special teams didn't give them a whole lot. They weren't a very good team. You go six and seven, you're in the ACC, and you get blown out by a, a, a rebuilding South Carolina team that didn't have any quarterbacks in your bowl game. That's not a good football team. Fast forward to now, I think they learned a lot. I was saying a lot last year we do podcasts during the season, even in some of the columns I wrote. I think Mac Brown's taken a few steps backwards this year to take a lot more forward moving forward because he was learning what he didn't want. He was out for five years, and the sport changed. Even though he was calling games, you know, he saw the changes. He saw what were the, where the game was headed, and he took a chance bringing in a coordinator running a scheme that was new and different and was working in Army. He figured, well, gosh, if this stuff works at Army, imagine what he could do with North Carolina athletes. Well, it didn't work out because you shouldn't have six foot three, 260-pound guys guarding dudes in slot or running backs out of the backfield. They learned that, so they changed. The other thing was – the offense that Phil Longo runs, Air Raid, Mack had never run something like that before. So he was figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And I think the lesson learned, the biggest lesson learned, is that football one-on-one on defense is always going to be football one-on-one on defense. And I know you want to talk about Gene Chizik at some point, but that's why Gene Chizik came back, because there's a lot of one-on-one and what his defenses do. Begin with the basics and grow out. Instead of what they were doing before, start with bells and whistles and then try to grow in. That never works. And it didn't work with Jay Bateman. One of the interesting things about Mac Brown that I've observed is that uh, if you go back to Texas especially, you'll see that he takes a little bit of time to get the ball rolling. But once he does, things are pretty solid. It looks like he's right at that point again with North Carolina. So he's he's – going through the stumbling blocks and, and figuring things out, making changes. And as you point out, uh, maybe, hey, maybe this is a season that there's uh, uh, that top 10 talk is not there, but maybe this is an underrated team 
We're going to find out a little more in detail as Will talks about specifics of offense and defense with you. Why don't we start with the defense since you uh, mentioned the the arrival of Gene Chizik to become the new defensive coordinator and what he has brought. But I think this is where where there's a lot less questions, I would say, because there's a lot more uh, experience back uh, in terms of starts and snaps and everything. So let's start there. There are some good good pieces back from the on this team, obviously the, the defensive line, Miles Murphy's back, back. He was second team, all ACC. So let's start there. Where do you see, see the big difference up front for the, with Gene Chizik being the new DC bodies. bodies. When, when Mac took over, uh, Jason Strowbridge and Aaron Crawford were, if, if the defense was on the field for 90 snaps, they were playing 90 snaps or close to it. They were playing a ton of snaps. They had a couple of kids that were getting a few here and there, there wasn't much depth. The linebackers played all the snaps if the corners stayed healthy, they were on the field and stayed on there. They've got bodies on defense. And it's not just guys who have been in games, but now you're starting, Jim, you mentioned the recruiting. Now you're starting to see the four-star kids become the depth, become part of the rotation. So not every four-star kid pans out. You know, quite frankly, if you bring in eight a year, if four of them pan out ultimately, that's pretty good because that's the way football is. Yeah. But if you're starting to just layer everything in your rotation, with four-star guys, high-end three-stars who are, say, overachievers, if you will, which is a term I don't care for, but people use it a lot, so I'll, I'll use it in this sense, right? And then a couple of five-stars, like the Tony Grimes' of the world, then if you have a competent scheme and you have good culture on defense and they're in the right calls in pre-snap, then you have a chance to be really successful. All those things, in one way or, or another form, were an issue last year. They were an issue two years ago. And even in his first year, but what's interesting is Jay Bateman's defense was very basic his first year. It's when he started adding more to it when they started having more trouble. So I think the simplification with how Gene Chizik's going to do things from the line of scrimmage to the way they handle gap control to the way the linebackers play, they got rid of the hybrid stuff. They're actually going to have <clears throat> true rush ends with a hand on the ground. I think the, I think the corners are going to be put in positions to make plays. You've got potential NFL guys there you've got to let them be that those guys so I think what what's going to be really interesting as someone who covers the program is to watch and see how much Gene Chizik lets dudes be dudes on defense when you throw too much in pre-snap and you overcomplicate things you take away the dude factor let them be dudes they all know how to play football simplify stuff let them go after it get off the field after a few snaps and get another four-star guy in there. Maybe young, but they're four-star guys. They got to get them to develop. I think that's what's the most intriguing thing about this North Carolina team, because they could a giant jump defensively because all you have to do is look at precedent. Gene Chizik took over a horrific defense from 2014 into 15. What do they do? They win 11 games and they go to the ACC championship. Now, they didn't have a great postseason defensively against Clemson and Baylor that year, but they were really good. They were really opportunistic. And his favorite term is uh, catastrophics. They didn't give up a bunch of big catastrophic plays. They made teams punch the ball down the field if they were going to score. They didn't just break down and explode like last year's defense did time and again. So I think that that is something Carolina fans should be excited about. Observers of the sport should focus on that. Say, okay, if Mac Brown is going to get this thing going, it has to be on that side of the ball, and it has to be 
Gene Chizik. So North Carolina brought in Noah Taylor as a grad transfer from Virginia. What is his role going to be on this defense? Uh, well, they need a voice. They brought in two grad transfers on one on each side of the ball. They need voices in that room. Mac Brown said leadership was not strong last year. Uh, he hasn't had great leadership yet. It, two years ago, he had some, but he saw, thought that was an issue. He, he, he believed that during the course of the season, there were times where he, they as a staff struggled to get the kids up to where they needed to be. And the staff shouldn't have to. You need to have culture in your program. If you're going to succeed, he likes to say, you got to have player-led teams. Well, player-led teams are not born during a tough moment in October. They're born in June and July, and they come through in that tough moment in October. And they just didn't really have much of it last year. And in football, you need more than one or two guys. You need a lot, but you need guys who can set the tone. And I think Taylor is someone on defense, along with Cedric Gray, along with Rava Hasek, who's an experienced guy. He's one of those glass-chewing type dudes. I think they're the ones who will set the tone on defense. And a guy like Taylor, look, he could have gone, he, he gone to an NFL camp somewhere and, and taken, taken a shot at the NFL. But he, he went to North Carolina because he believes that he can get to the NFL by going to North Carolina. And the irony is he actually signed as a transfer when Jay Bateman was still there. But he actually fits into what they're doing now better from a vocal standpoint and from an athlete standpoint. So they need him to be really good. They need these grad transfers that come in to be big time players because a lot of the guys that they have on defense have been flare up guys, but they've never really been consistently really good. So they need someone to show them what it's like being really good every snap. And Noah Taylor was close to being that guy at UVA and may have more of a chance of being that guy at Carolina. I like the secondary for North Carolina. Obviously, Storm Duck had a kind of a rough season because he was injured. Uh, Tony Grimes, I think he's a little, he's young for his for his side, but he's shown a ton of promise. What can you tell us about the secondary? It feels like this is one of the strengths of this of this defense. I absolutely will. There are, <clears throat> talk about dudes. You can talk about a bunch of four-star dudes and even a five in, in Grimes. I'll, I'll put it this way. Connor McMichael was the number 53 player in the nation in the class of 2018. Went to Clemson. He was a borderline five-star guy. Transfers to Carolina after a year. He got on the field a lot last year because Duck was hurt, right? So Duck is healthy. Grimes is Grimes. McMichael could have come back, but went ahead and said, I'm going to the NFL. He's a free agent, signed as a free agent. Point is, he went that route instead of coming back to North Carolina because he wasn't going to get on the field that much if Duck and Grimes are healthy. Now, if it's a big question with Duck, he's been battling injuries for almost two years now in some capacity. But if those two are healthy, Mac Brown calls them both NFL players. So if you have NFL corners and you got a guy like Gene Chizik on the defense and you've got eight or nine dudes that you trust up front, think of the things that they can do. They can be a little bit more creative with their blitzes. They can, you know, put the safeties don't have to help as much. So they might be in positions to make more plays. There's a trickle down effect with all this stuff, but you got to have really good corners if you're going to challenge for your division in, in the ACC in the coastal division. So these are guys that can be really good, but I would temper the enthusiasm if I'm Carolina fans and the expectations because Grimes has been inconsistent. He's an unbelievable talent. He's an NFL talent, but he's been inconsistent. And Duck, when he's been healthy, has been phenomenal, but he hasn't been healthy a whole lot. So there are, as, as much as there, should, there are reasons for optimism all around this defense, there are still question marks everywhere. But, but I think a difference in the program right now as opposed to recent years is 
they might be at a point where, hey, if this guy's not playing that great, we got someone else that we can put in and we're okay with that. That's the way the staff can view things. Uh, corner may not so much be that way because those guys should be so good. Like it would be a tremendous drop off if one of them's not on the field because of performance. Um, but I would expect them to, at the minimum, be pretty good at corner, very good, more than likely, if they, if they both stay healthy. And then at safety, they have a lot of guys. They have a lot of dudes back there that have been really good at times, but they've also been really bad at times. So how much of that was a scheme before? How much of that was too much placed on them with the over-communication uh, in pre-snap? They had plays last year where the defense wasn't even set when the ball was snapped. Georgia Tech scored a touchdown inside the five, a running play. And when the ball snapped, all 11 North Carolina players are looking at the sideline. They weren't ready to go because they had no idea what was going on sometimes. So you eliminate that. You're quicker on the snap. You allow your natural ability to take over. And if you're really good in some spots of winning some of your battles, then you can really allow the athletes, the studs to be studs. That's what they hope happens this year. I'll believe it when I see it, but I do think there is potential that the defense could make a significant jump just in the simplification, allowing dudes to be dudes. And those two on the corners, they're dudes. So with all of the uh, home games uh, there at Chapel Hill, some critical games, I thoroughly expect to see at least uh, a couple of dozen, maybe more signs that say, let dudes be dudes. <laughs> we tried to trademark that last year. It lasted about three minutes. So you know why? Because last year I just kind of took a beating for it and justly so because I was saying look they got a lot of dudes on defense who were very young and dudes are still dudes whether they're 18 and went behind the ears or 21 they're still dudes they need to get on the field they need to play but development to me is stymied some when you're having guys try to execute a, a, a philosophy that doesn't make sense Des Evans is a perfect example He's an extremely talented football player, but he played the hybrid the last two years. So he played 489 snaps. But what was the value in those snaps if he's being asked to do stuff that he never should have been asked to do? I'll give you an example. Cedric Gray, who's a very articulate linebacker, he's going to be the guy barking stuff on deep, barking the calls on defense. He said to us after the spring game, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but it's close to being the exact quote. If it's me, I wouldn't have a six foot six dude guarding running backs out of the back 25 yards down the field. Case in point, they were frustrated with the system. Yeah. They didn't have tremendous confidence in it. I think the confidence waned as things went on. So now Dez is a hand in the dirt guy. He's a go get the quarterback guy. They basically had narrowed down his role to three things. He didn't have to think about a bunch of stuff with pre-snap. Just go get the dude. Go get the quarterback. Be the guy that, that you were gifted to be and see how it works. So because of stuff like that, I think that, A, it's interesting for me, and B, fans should at least think that there's a chance for improvement and maybe tremendous improvement because when you've got a lot of highly talented players on that side of the ball and if things start rolling in a positive way, teams, college football teams make dramatic improvements in one year all the time. Oh, yeah. So who's to say that this isn't their year to do that? To kind of what you spoke about early, Jim, is – okay, last year wasn't the top 10 year. Maybe this is the year I wouldn't say top 10. It's kind of crazy. But I think you could be looking at eight or nine wins if the defense does what Gene Chizik did the first time he took over the defense. And he's got a lot more natural talent now than he did in 2015. 
Plus, he has a lot more experience understanding uh, the game in general because of his experience, you know, going in different places. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Chizik can do there. I think that's exciting. Let's talk about how North Carolina can move on from Sam Howell, a very talented quarterback who is where he should be. It would have been nice to have him back, uh, but – that's not the way it worked out. So we're talking about potentially at starting uh, quarterback uh, Jacoby Criswell, uh, Drake May, or Connor Harrell. Now, uh, Criswell is the guy who backed up Howell. Uh, May's got a little experience under his belt. Um, Harrell is basically a freshman coming in. So which one of these three guys is is the guy, or as the rumor mill says, Max talking about starting two quarterbacks. Well, Max done that. He did it at Carolina back in, you know, Jason Stanisek ended up setting the school, he broke Choo Choo Justice record for all purpose yards or total yards. And, and he, and Mac had him platooning with Mike Thomas. And he did that with Chris Keldorf and, and Oscar Davenport. He did it at Texas a few times, but I think I'm not a, I don't believe that, that that saying which says if you have two quarterbacks, it means you don't have any. Because I think that they're they're not, they're not in a bad situation here. They've got three kids who are going to take snaps at the Power Five level as a starter somewhere at some point in their careers. But the question is, are any of them ready right now? And who's most ready when they play Florida A&M on August 27th? I, I think that Drake May is going to be the guy. Stuff that I'm hearing is that Drake May – just kind of fits the suit more. Uh, he's got, he, he's, he's a better runner. He sees the field better. He's six foot five. I don't know if you all know, he's Luke May's younger brother. His dad played quarterback at Carolina. And, and the people who know the May family, he's got another May uh, brother that won a national title in baseball at Florida. Everybody says that he is by far the best athlete of the bunch. By far the guy who is almost a surefire pro. There are people right now that say he's going to be an NFL quarterback. I'm not saying that because I haven't seen them perform against quality competition. In fact, when they open the season, he will have only taken a handful of snaps in almost three years because he didn't play his senior year of high school because North Carolina had spring football that year and he enrolled early. And then last year, he didn't really play at all. So we're talking 2019 in late November was the last time he threw a meaningful pass, so to speak. So they might ease him in. There is talk about maybe playing a couple of guys early and seeing who moves forward, or you just want to give Criswell an opportunity to, to, to really win the job. I think May's going to get the job by the time they play Notre Dame, they're going to know exactly who they are in that respect. And whoever takes the first snap against Notre Dame will take all the snaps unless they get blown out. So I do think ultimately it'll be May. And I think that Harold is someone that they love uh, he was a valedictorian in high school. He comes in and everyone just talks about how smart he is. And Criswell's a kid that if it doesn't happen in North Carolina, it's going to happen somewhere. He's good. He's got a really strong arm. He throws the ball. He can throw the ball 75 yards. Uh, I don't think they have any pass plays in the, in, the, in the playbook that call for that. But can he throw the shortstop? Can he move and make plays? That's where Drake May really excels. We have been watching. I have my football recruiting uh, director Dina King is sensational at looking at a kid when they're a junior in high school and projecting. And she has said for a couple of years, he has the potential to be better than Sam Howe as a higher end, higher wow. ceiling than Sam Howe. So that'll be interesting to see how quickly 
that starts to take shape. It's very possible it starts taking shape in September. I think the sooner it does, the better opportunity this team has to, to put on a, to have a good season because if they're still going back and forth in mid-October at quarterback, I don't think that's going to be good for this group. Yeah. I know what I said that I don't believe in the that the old adage that if you have two, you don't have any. I do think you can have two and have two really good ones, but I do think ultimately in order to win, one guy's got to take over and be the guy. And uh, my projection is that will be Drake May. Okay. So you put her on the spot a little bit. <laughs> she can handle it. Hey, she called. She said Bryson Nesbitt can play wide receiver. He's a tight end. And what's he doing in the spring? He's lining up at slot as much as he is at tight end. Think about that. A six foot six guy lining up at slot. Wow. So she called that too. I trust what Dina says. Yeah. Miss were... King knows her stuff. Well, there you go. Uh, so what you're saying basically is he may be the dude or a dude. So we'll keep an eye he's got dude. He's just, got dude potential. I'm going to play this potential. one to this, to the end of the show. I'm going to play that over and over. That's, that's going to be repeated. <laughs> Ad nauseum. And if, and if, if, they go, <laughs> if they go four and eight, which is possible, then you guys can really let me have it over that. No. And I'm not projecting a great yeah. season. Yeah. I, I, quite frankly, I think what this does is when you look at the roster and the composition of talent right now, it puts pressure on Mac Brown. You know, this is year four. This is this yeah. is a, this is results-oriented business. He understands that. And you after you know they went toward the Orange Bowl two years ago. That was a good season, but it wasn't a normal season. So how much of that was real? You remember Indiana had a really good season, and last year they kind of showed people that maybe it wasn't all that real because it was just a quirky season. Not everybody had their full complement of players. They played, uh, Carolina played an, an ACC heavy schedule two years ago. So maybe that's how they snuck into the Orange Bowl. Who knows? But in year four, and a coach that didn't have to come out of retirement, he didn't need the money. He had a real good thing going on. He got back in this thing to win. And I think that part of Mac Brown wants to show people because he's got naysayers. There are people that don't believe he did a great job at Texas, which is insane. If you look at Texas the, the 25 years before he arrived, and if you look at Texas since he left, it's, it, his time in the middle of that period there totally stands out. So Texas hasn't been worth a crap since 1980, except for Mac Brown era. But I do think that he hears that. He knows that. And I think he would love to stick it to some people and prove it, that he could take North Carolina to a place Nobody has consistently done before. He was on the cusp of it in 96 and 97, then he left. So there's an unfinished business thing here. And there's also, hey, I want to prove to them that I could take that basketball school and I could take them to the CFP. I think that's why he, one of the reasons he came back. And it's a big reason he came back. So that means there's pressure on year four. You can't go six and six. And the, and the school's not going to sit around and have a coach in his 70s go six and six and yeah. try to sell the future because it's really hard to do. They're seeing it in recruiting right now. They're not going to, they're likely not going to have a top 15 class this year. They're offering more kids than they did before because the shine is also. So now this year will determine whether or not they can get the shine back on. If they do, he's got a chance to achieve his goals. If they don't, it's going to be very, very difficult. We'll take a look at that uh, schedule here in just a few moments. A, a quick uh, question for you. Uh, Jack McNell uh, gets a, a quick turn coming in as the O-line coach. Um, his mindset, tell us a little bit about that. Well, physicality, 
you know, the, they gave up 49 sacks last year. Now, everybody beat the crap out of Stacey Searles, the offensive line coach, saying, well, it's all his fault. He stinks. Well, he doesn't stink. There were a lot of factors why there were a lot of sacks, and Mac has been very open about it. Uh, they didn't have receivers getting open. Josh Downs was the only one getting open. That was a big problem. And if you listen to what their coaches were saying this spring, Mac and Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator, who's also the quarterback's coach, they emphasize the importance of quarterbacks getting rid of the ball quickly. Now you think about why did Sam Howell last to the fifth round? Because he didn't get rid of the ball quickly sometimes. He held on too long. So everyone, you know, PFF charged Sam with a lot of sacks. But the offensive line did not do a great job of protecting. It was an issue all through the first three years in Max part two time at Carolina. They need to be better up front. They need to be more physical in the pass protection. And they also need to be more physical in short yardage situations. Their run game in the red zone is, has been bad two of the three years, and they need to be better in that area. So they went out and got Jack McNeil because he's about physicality. He's about winning at the point of attack. As soon as the ball snaps, get up in the grill, move that defender. Let, win the battle immediately and take ownership of that snap. And that's something that I watched a lot in spring practice. And it was really impressive seeing the emphasis on that because you – Offensive line plays became, I mean, it's not just skill-based because it's always physical. You're always going to have physical contact and bang heads on every snap. But it's so hands-oriented now. I kind of thought it was cool hearing some pads pop a little bit more. Get that shoulder into someone. Get that face into them. You know, get them elevated a little bit so they're a little bit more upright so you can do whatever the heck it is you want to do with the defensive line. That's what they're emphasizing. Whether that, you know, shows itself this season – I don't know. They have a lot of older guys on the offensive line, but they're largely guys who have been incredibly inconsistent in their careers. Really good one game with a 75 PFF and really mediocre with a 45 the next game. So yeah. when you're, what are they, eight, six and seven last year, eight and four the year before that, seven and six the year before that, that's fairly average, it's fairly mediocre. And that usually lends itself to inconsistency. You, you can easily trace that bouncing ball and stuff like that. And the offensive line needs to be more consistent. And that's why they brought him in. So under the running backs for a moment, a uh, little bit of, little bit of depth co concerns there. Obviously Ty Chandler's gone. He is now ball uh, getting ready to start his pro career up the road for me in Minneapolis. Uh, British Brooks is back using his COVID year, but again, there's not a ton of proven depth behind him. Is this a case where you could see someone um, um, eventually take the job from Brooks this year? Yeah, I think so. Brooks, he exploded in, uh, he had a decent game against Wofford, if you want to count that last year, uh, the week before they played at NC State, and he was really good against NC State, then he had a really good bowl game, and all of a sudden, British Brooks is the flavor of the month, and they had nobody else coming back, so he came back. I, he, he's, he's running back one right now, but I'm not so sure he's going to be running back one by the middle of October. I think you're kind of hitting on that. I, I really like DJ Jones. He's been in the program a couple of years. He, he just looks so good in drills and everything, but he can't stay healthy. So, and Mac Brown said uh, last late last season, you know, staying healthy is a skill. You got to be able to stay healthy if you're going to get on the field. I actually think the door is open for a true freshman named George Petaway. He's a four-star kid, borderline five. He's a top 100 kid uh, from the 757 in Virginia, which is loaded with players. I think someone like him 
it would not surprise me as a true freshman if he gets most of the touches at the midpoint of the season and on. And they have another true freshman, O'Marion Hampton, coming in, a little bit more of a power guy, run between the tackles guy. I think he's going to get an opportunity to get on the field and show what he can do as well because as nice a, play, as, as nice a story as British Brooks is, he was a preferred walk-on when he came in. He's a special teams captain. He's an incredibly smart guy. But I'm not sure he's a guy to take the ball 200 times for you. I'm just not sure that he's that guy. And if he is that guy, I'm not sure he's a guy like that on a team that wins nine games and contends for a division title. I'm not, I'm not being disrespectful to him. I just, his ceiling's probably about right here. Well, George Pettaway's ceiling is not on camera. So I, I think in the end, you may see them go that direction. They're going to be older on defense than they will in the skill stuff on offense. A lot of new names on offense, which is why those old guys up front, they need to do a better job so they can help those young guys assimilate. So obviously a couple of years ago, all the, all the skill position guys left for the NFL and somebody had to step up a wide receiver. Did you have any idea it was going to be Josh Downs last year? We got an indication in the orange bowl. He scored two touchdowns and in that whole uh, doing the opposing schools signs, everybody's got these weird signs yeah. and stuff. He scored a touchdown went right in front of the Texas A&M section, did the gig him down thing. <laughs> you know, you do that gig him stuff, you get gig him down and, you know, most people were ticked off and everything. That's Josh's personality. And he's going to do whatever he's allowed to do on the field. So it helps <laughs> that you have a tremendous athlete, mm-hmm. a guy with NFL potential, NFL speed, NFL breakaway ability, NFL toughness, uh, who's also got, you know, typical NFL wide receiver moxie. But he can't do it alone. If you look at his game-by-game stats last year, look at the second half of the year as opposed to the first half. Defenses started keen on him big time. They were taking away his legs. He, he, he wasn't scoring touchdowns anymore. He wasn't churning his wheels. They were, he would catch four yard passes and get seven yards. They were wrapping him up. They had, an, they had eyes on him because nobody else stepped up. Antoine Green was okay for a few games, but it wasn't consistent. So they, they have huge question marks of receiver. That's why Bryson Nesbitt, whom I spoke about earlier, they're lining a tight end up at slot A because he's a wonderful athlete and he could run routes, but also out of need. They need they need people that can run routes and catch the ball. They had about what eight wide receivers in fall in spring camp, spring practice, because they lost guys. Dudes transferred. They have some young ones coming in that they don't really they don't know where to run. They don't know what the routes are. There's going to be a lot of newness out there at receiver this year, and until some other guys step up, that could be an issue, which is not a great problem to have when you're going to have a brand new quarterback. Yeah, and you, you talked about Downs. I'm looking at his game log from last year. After the Notre Dame game, he had four yeah. catches in that Wake Forest game and the one where they won 58 to 55. And yeah. even though Wake wasn't that great of a defense, they still found a way to to hold him in check. And even though he was catching balls, he just wasn't getting the the big the big games like he was in the the first two thirds first third two thirds of the year. So so your point is very well taken. I totally understand that now. But and you mentioned it. There's just not a lot of uh, just like with running backs, there's not a ton of experience back there. But who who would you say of all the people uh, outside of Downs is going to be the one to help step up this year, aside from Nesbitt? They have like, – I think J.J. Jones could be a really good player. He's long. They need that corner of the end zone guy. They lacked that last year. They thought Bo Corrales would be that, but he never never healthy. And he eventually left for SMU for his last year. I think if Bo was back – I think that would be huge because he can catch the ball in the middle and catch it down the sideline. It could be a corner end zone guy. They need that. Um, I, I really like JJ Jones. 
but I think it's a question mark. They got a big time freshman coming in. But I think a lot of people think it's going to get on the field right away, but I've seen that a lot before. It, Josh Downs was a big time freshman and his head was spinning for several months before he kind of figured things out a little bit. Plus he had some pretty good players in front of him. So I think you know, Mac said something I thought was elite at the end of spring. When he described Antoine Green as elite, Antoine Green was a big-time prospect coming out of high school, but as a true freshman in a game at Syracuse, he suffered a horrible injury. And I think that that physically and psychologically affected him for a few years. I'm not sure it wasn't until around that Notre Dame game last year, if you look at his numbers, he was pretty good that night, that maybe he finally got past that. If he did, and he's the guy who's now starting to creep toward his talent level, then he could be another really good receiver who could be a possession guy. He could go deep down the middle. He's got some giddy up. So you know, he could stress defenses. So they don't, they can't focus entirely on Josh Downs. If they don't have anybody that steps up, they're going to have a tough time throwing the ball and they're going to do, and they'll be forced to run a lot in a situation where you don't really have anybody that's been a consistent runner at the college level behind an offensive line. It's trying to change your regain, you know, build a new identity. I think the offense, we talked about little question marks all over the place on defense. I think on offense, they're huge question marks, kind of littered all over the place. Before Jim brings us home with uh, with the schedule, I just want to get a, ask you a recruiting question, because obviously sure. this team has done a really good job in recruiting um, pretty much ever since Mac Brown took over. Um, Obviously, Dre Bly is a huge part of that. He's been great at getting um, you know, getting into Virginia and getting a lot of kids uh, um, who have you know are going to who are going to be big time players. So, what um, what is it uh, you know about Dre that just kind of endears him to the recruits? If you're around Dre Bly, you can't be in a bad mood. Uh, you know, Dre Bly's got an infectious personality. He is the epitome of positivity. He is achiever. He has achieved a ton in his life, and he's not afraid to let you know about it. He lets these kids know, uh, and he he believes in these kids. He's an incredible recruiter because he, I think he's honest with kids, and they see that. And mamas love him, but dads love him too. And you've got a dude who's got he's got cornerback played won a Super Bowl moxie, and he carries that onto the recruiting trail. And when you're recruiting in Charlotte, which has got a crap load of talent and you're recruiting in the 757 of Virginia Beach which has got a crap load. I mean that's Atlanta type talent just a little bit smaller base you, you have a guy who lives in Charlotte <clears throat> he's coached in some high school stuff there run youth league programs there and he's from the 757 he's got moxie that speaks the language of a lot of these recruits so they're they, they identify with them immediately and he connects with them, but he can also speak to them at various different levels. So uh, I think the trust factor in the rest of the program, a lot of that comes through Dre. And like I said, he's just an unbelievably positive guy and all my interactions with him, you know, you, you walk away thinking, man, that's just, a, that's, he's one of those dudes that is an NFL guy. He's a college football hall of famer and, and he'll let you know, but he's, he doesn't do it in an arrogant kind of way. He doesn't do it in a way well, you know, you're not good enough to, to be in my space. And a lot of athletes, even after they play, are like that. He's not at all. He can get down on any level he needs to, and he's fine there. He can go up any level he needs to, and he's fine there as well. Interesting. Um, this schedule seems like one that can be taken advantage of. 
Um, in a couple of words for each one of these games I'm getting ready to mention, tell me your thoughts of, uh, about what you see happening. Uh, up front, the App State game, it's the second game. They're always a challenge. What do you think? Well, the App State beat them in Chapel Hill three years ago. So okay. that was the week before Clemson all, or Carolina almost beat Clemson. So don't go to sleep on App State. <laughs> well, no, well, App State's a good program. Yeah. Boone is going to be a zoo. It's a noon game, so they'll be drinking at about 8 o'clock the night before. It's going to be wild. And by the way, I don't say that disrespectfully. But I, I admire that. That's normal. I admire those yeah. That's <laughs> a definition know, of college town right there. It, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a phenomenal place. I can't wait to be there for that game, just to, <clears> to be there and how cool is it for them to have gotten that program to the point where Miami was there a couple of years ago, Wake was there, and now here comes Carolina. Uh, I think it's a very dangerous game. Uh, I think it would be a really good win for North Carolina to win that game. If their name was something other than Appalachian State, I think a lot of people might look at it differently, yeah. but that's a really good football program with a tremendous winning culture. They No matter who the head coach is, they just keep winning. So I'll just tell so, you um, – so that's, I think that, that that's a very losable game for North Carolina. And if okay. they lose that game, also they get a dangerous sign of what's to come, too. If they win that game, I think they'll get a little boost. And they'll need that because I don't think it's super easy the week after that either. And they know how to tailgate there. And, and really, there's some great cooks. So I just, you know, you already know that. I don't have to tell you Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, Notre Dame in game four. This is going to be in Chapel Hill. So this is why I say. I, I'm beginning to see a trend here, which tells me this is something that North Carolina can take advantage of. What do you think about this game? Depends on what their record is when that game arrives. And, you know, they should be three, but they should win it out. Year four, Mac Brown, North Carolina. Year one, Act wins in Chapel Hill. Okay, Mac inherited a mess. He inherited a bunch of guys that didn't know how to win. They didn't have a good culture. They were trying to build it. Year four, none of that should be an issue. You should roll into Boone and win that game. So they do that, and they take care of Georgia State the week after, which I don't know why they're going to play that game on the road. It doesn't make any sense. Then they have a week off before Notre Dame. I've never been a big fan of teams having a week off before a huge game because you don't want to play that game on Wednesday, 10 days before it, you know, mentally 10 days before it even occurs. They'd be better off playing a game that week, in my opinion, but the schedule is what it is. So let's say for the sake of discussion, they're 3-0. They look really good in Boone. They look really good down Atlanta. They, they won't have any problem with FAMU in the first game. They're 3-0. They get an open date, which they have to play, which means it's one more week of being undefeated. They'll climb into the rankings because that's the way that stuff works, right? Yep. So they're like number 24, and here comes Notre Dame. So much is going to be riding on that game. For me as a guy who covers the program, who's covered the league for a long time, covered the program for a long time, I would like to see that just because I'd be fascinated how they would handle it. Do they just, is it just too much for them? Or are they ready? Are they ready for that moment? To me, that's what I would want to see. I think that'd be really, really cool. Notre Dame's come in before. I think Carolina's beaten them once. That was in 08 when I think Quan Sturdivant had an interception return for a touchdown. That was a good Carolina defense back in the day when uh, Bruce Carter and a bunch of those guys were playing. Uh, I'm not sure this group is that group yet, but Notre Dame may have question marks too with a new staff and they lost a lot of guys they have to replace as well. So I would think if you're North Carolina, you would want to get Notre Dame at home in September and not October or November. I think that'll be a more difficult animal for the Tar Heels. But yeah. if they're 3-0 and they're somewhere in the bottom of that pole, 
this state's going to be on fire that week. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun, but it'll also be really telling about where the program is and how they perform in that game. Yeah. Revenge game is up next. Virginia Tech comes down to Chapel Hill. What do you think about that one? Yeah, a week after that, that's uh, – I North Carolina football has not handled having to give huge emotional investments in consecutive weeks very well in the past, and that's what they'll have to do. I could – North Carolina football would be, hey – you're 3-0, you beat Notre Dame, everybody tears down the goalposts, Franklin Street parties until Tuesday, and then the Hokies come in and just run it down your throat that Saturday. It, again, I'm a big fan of, of psyche. I love to, the basketball team this past year. It was all about their psyche. It was all about their chemistry. Where were their minds? And they finally got everything right, and voila, their talent took over, right? In football, it's somewhat the same way. But you're doing this in football in a culture that hasn't fully been established yet. They haven't won that many big games in their past. So having back-to-back games like that, again, you want to know where the program is in year four under Mac Brown? Talk to me after the Hokies leave town, and I'll be able to answer that question for you. Yeah, that's a very easy letdown game, especially if they beat Notre Dame. Even though uh, Virginia Tech is a little bit going to be probably a little bit down this year, they still look like they have a good enough defense that can uh, give this team fits. And they always beat North Carolina. I know they, they could play anywhere. They could play in Mars, and Virginia Tech's going to have an eight-point <laughs> advantage. Give me spotted eight points just because Carolina's going to make mistakes against them. Just like last year, Sam Howell threw three interceptions against them last year. Whoever would have thought he'd do that in a game? Uh, and they were terrible in that game. That was the game that Mac Brown's like, whoa. Okay, we're not we're not what we thought we were, and I thought that that was interesting because that night was a terrible night for Carolina football. You know, I'm not a big believer in revenge because once the ball is snapped, you know, all that stuff's gone. You can't get revenge during the course of the game. It's more in your preparation. And if North Carolina doesn't prepare well for Virginia Tech, then there's something wrong because that's a program that the fans hate. I think that there's as much desire by a lot of Carolina fans to beat Virginia Tech as there is anybody else especially probably especially after what happened last year. So yeah. it'll be very interesting to see what they're like, because you got to go to Boone, you got Notre Dame, you got Virginia Tech in your first five games. Are they two and three? Are they three and two? Are they four and one? That'll be very revealing about where this program is. Here comes your next one, Miami, but this time it's down in Florida. That's going to be a tough challenge. Well, I, Nobody can, anybody who tries to project Miami until they actually see Miami <laughs> is making a big mistake. I mean, the, they're the quintessential, hey, it's their year, and it never is their year anymore. For the last 20 that's years. A shame. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. I think, I think the ACC needs Miami to get back to being what Miami should be. Virginia Tech needs to be good. I think North Carolina with its brand needs to be good. Florida State needs to get back. I agree. And then people won't be talking about how terrible the ACC is. That should be a very important game. Um, should be, but we'll know. We'll, we'll know when that game arrives. It, odds are one of those two teams will be underachieving at that point because that's kind of what what they do too often. Pitt and Chapel Hill. They have not visited Chapel Hill in a while because they didn't play in the COVID year, and the last two times they played were Thursdays in Pittsburgh. So we're talking 2018, last time Pitt was in Chapel Hill, their coastal foes. So uh again pits a team that can give gives carolina trouble because of the physicality north carolina needs to be more physical than they've been they haven't been physical enough for years and the only times the two periods that i've been covering the program where it has been physical was at the end of max run and they had a bunch of dudes that went to the nfl that were first round draft picks and then which davis kind of had a physical thing going but 
other shenanigans were going too, which ended his run. So uh, they need to get back to being more physical. So this stretch of games you're talking about, the Irish, the Hokies, the Panthers, those are games at home. You've got to be physical enough to win. You can't lose those games at home because you're not physical enough in the trenches and elsewhere. And again, these are all tests that will reveal where this program is in year four. I'm going to confuse everybody here just briefly. This is a real conference game this year, folks. Wake Forest. How about that? In Winston-Salem, it's going to be a tough game. I think, you know, the neat thing about this, in-state, and it always brings out the fans. I don't know why Sam Hartman's not getting more love right now than he is. It doesn't make any sense. I think he's an NFL player. Dave Clawson's got a great program. How about Wake Forest? Arguably, outside of Kansas, the worst power conference program ever in history until Jim Grove got there. And they've gone back-to-back with their two best coaches in school history. That's pretty cool. And they're both guys that are happy being there. Dave Clawson would be fine. He's had opportunities to go other places, and he's still there. He's got a damn good program, and they know how to move the ball and score points. That's a, I, I don't think anybody's projecting North Carolina going in there and putting 58 on the board again like they had, or 59 like they had the last two years against Wake. Maybe they will. I doubt it. I think Wake's going to be really good. NC State's going to be really good this year. So that's a tough game. And um, if the Tar Heels are playing, if it's a very meaningful game, other than just pride, that means that they've made some progress. We're talking about revealing where the program is. That means that they've been physical and they've been able to win some challenging games, have that back-to-back stretch early against Notre Dame and, and Virginia Tech. And maybe they mentally will be much more ready to go in and win a game like that. But, you know, it's very well Wake could have one loss, being defeated at that time and be playing for something very, very significant. So that'll just elevate the challenge. This is this has got to be a fun game. NC State in Chapel Hill. Yeah, uh, especially if NC State's as good as a lot of people think they're going to be. I saw, I mean, there's a lot of crap on Twitter, right? But every once in a while, I see something <laughs> like, eh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of knowledge behind that. There are a few people that actually think that they're a dark horse for the CFP, kind of like the way North Carolina was a year ago. Uh, the difference is NC State has a proven defense. North Carolina didn't have a proven defense. So I think the Wolfpack is going to be really good this year. They have a very good quarterback. They're always good at the line of scrimmage, but that game will be in Chapel Hill. We want to see what kind of crowd North Carolina can have on a holiday weekend, even though it's NC State. I think that might bring out the best in the Carolina crowd, and it could be a very meaningful game. At the very least, they could be playing to spoil something for the Wolfpack, because I think State's going to be really good. So that'll be very, very interesting. There are a lot of opportunities on the schedule, guys. These are games that if North Carolina plays to its potential, should win a lot of these games, most of the games. But there are also a lot of losable games for this club because they have so many question marks. So if half the question marks are answered in a positive, that means in half aren't, you're looking at a team that probably splits these games that we've talked about. Interesting. You can listen to the podcast by subscribing. Simply go to our homepage, click the link in the middle of the page for listeners all over the world. We're streaming on ACC Nation Radio, and you can watch us on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and follow us to hear the latest, and be sure to visit us at accnation.net. Thank you so much to our special guest, Andrew Jones, the publisher of Tar Heel Illustrated on the Rivals Network. Be sure to follow him on that aforementioned Twitter and subscribe to his site for fantastic coverage of North Carolina sports. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you.